what's going on? So this week we are talking about forgiveness like Jesus. Jesus' way of going about forgiveness, which is really pretty radical, especially for his day. So let's go ahead and get into it. Now, a few weeks back we talked about Luke 17 and where Jesus is at in his ministry. So basically up to this point he offered himself as the king, as the Messiah to Israel, and he offered the kingdom to Israel. He sent out his disciples to make this offer. They came back, and Jesus said, Hey, guys, what's the verdict? Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet. In other words, they're not embracing him as their king and as their Messiah. So he says, Who do you say that I am? To his disciples, and they say, Well, you're the Christ. And so then he says, All right, from now on, don't tell this to anybody. And Jesus' direction in his ministry changes. No longer is he going to be offering the kingdom to Israel. Now he's going to be pouring into these disciples, training them up to start a whole new movement. A movement of people who have come to a place of repentance in their life and recognize that they need salvation, they need forgiveness, and have trusted in Jesus as their Lord, their Savior, their King. And so this is the spiritual kingdom. People who have had this transformation in their heart. And in the literal earthly kingdom, where Christ reigns as king in a kingdom on earth, that will yet come. And it will be made up of people that are part of that spiritual kingdom. So Luke 17 is Jesus training his disciples and preparing them for the mission that he has for them. And so here's what he says. He says, pay attention to yourselves, which is basically a way of saying, hey guys, this is really important. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now it's important to know that Jesus, was he's training his disciples, he's often drawing contrast between the teaching and behavior of the religious leaders of that day and how Jesus would have his disciples to think and to behave. So, the leaders of, of this day, they were very legalistic, meaning that the way that they conducted themselves was according to the law, very strictly, okay? And so everybody was measured according to how well they measured up to the law. So they taught that you should forgive somebody three times, and then after that, there's no more. Uh, they had created a culture that was very legalistic. People were very fearful of messing up and being judged or being oppressed by the leaders. At the same time, the leaders, they gave this portrayal of obeying the commands and, you know, better than others. And um, they were also very prideful, very self-righteous. They loved uh, fame. They, they loved to be honored. They loved money, these kinds of things. And so, when Jesus talks about this kind of forgiveness, it's really radical because there just wasn't a culture of forgiveness um, under those religious leaders in Jesus' day. It was more so a culture of um, condemning or judging others. Okay, okay, so there are many different passages in the New Testament that tell us how God wants us to go about forgiveness and go about reconciliation when people sin against us. So I'm going to go through just a few uh, that we find. The first thing is this, know the goal. Okay, If somebody has sinned against you, 
or you have conflict with somebody, your first step is to know the goal. The goal in any kind of conflict is 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. In other words, the goal is not for the to get the other person to apologize. The goal is not to get vindication or revenge, certainly. The goal is not payback. The goal is that we would glorify God. When we follow what God says to do in his word to resolve conflicts, God gets glorified. Because you know what? His ways work. They really do. And when we obey his commands and we see reconciliation actually happen, you know, it looks different than the world. Because any kind of group of people, whether you're a soccer team, you're a family, you're a church, whatever, there's conflicts. And typically what we do is we fight or there's flight or there's both. And we divide. We say, you know what, I just had to get out. There was conflict and so I left. We divide. Those that agree with us, maybe they'll come with us. A little bit later on down the line, we do the same thing. There's another conflict in that new group. We argue, we divide, and we do it over and over. So when we follow what God has to say in his word, and we actually have reconciliation, which can happen, then there isn't division. That looks completely different than what is typical in our world. So the, And it brings glory to God. So the number one goal is to bring glory to God. The second thing is pray, because here's the thing. For It takes two to tango. It takes two parties to bring about reconciliation. But here's the thing. You can't change anybody else's heart. It's impossible to do that. However, the Lord can. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit will bring a person to realize how they need to change. You can't do that, but God can, so you need to pray. Next, reflect on your fault. Jesus says this, Why do you see the speck that's in your own brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. So Jesus' point is, first look at yourself. And I would encourage you, even if you were hurt, you were sinned against, okay? Look at anything, anything, even if it's small, that you can own up to and apologize for. Because that's sending a big message to that person, saying, I value you and I value a relationship with you so much that I want to apologize for anything I could possibly identify as being hurtful to you. So that's Matthew 7. So next is, after you've reflected on your own fault and you're ready to admit that and apologize for that, consider overlooking. You know, it says in Proverbs 19.11, it's a glory for one to overlook an offense. Can you overlook this? Well, listen, if you can overlook many, many things, okay, things that are annoying or, you know, kind of small. You can't overlook something if it's done significant damage to your relationship or if it's seriously dishonoring to God or if it's, it's you know, hurting other people. Those things you cannot overlook. Uh, but ask yourself, is what this person did, is it something I can just overlook? If so, it's okay to do that. But if it's not, then you need to deal with it. Okay, so the next step is to confess your fault. All right. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, a good confession is one to where there's no excuses. It's not, hey, I'm sorry I did this, but I was really tired. I'm sorry I did this, but you did this. Uh, that's not a good confession. A good confession, just simply you own up to what you did. 
you say you're sorry for what you did, you, you recognize how you hurt the person, be willing to accept the consequences. That's a good confession. So confess your fault. And then share their fault. Chances are, if you confess your fault, and you communicate to them that you love them, there's a, a likelihood that at that point they would do the same because they recognize how much you care about them, that you would actually confess to them how important this is. They recognize that um, you're doing something very honorable, something that takes a tremendous amount of internal strength, and that you care about them. And so then they may be, the Lord may use that to impact their heart to where they would share their fault. Now, if they do, uh, they may not share all the things that hurt you or even the significant things that hurt you. And then in that case, you need to talk to them about the areas that they missed. All right. And that's where this passage comes in, in Luke 17, verse 3 and 4, where Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of rebuking someone. Uh, you might have heard this word before, rebuke, and it sometimes could carry the idea of like, hey, I gave him a piece of my mind, or yeah, I told them what you know what they did wrong and, and how they need to change, and there's this idea of telling someone off or yelling at someone or something, but that's not the idea of rebuking someone. It literally means to charge somebody with wrong, to give them a warning, but it always has the intent to restore that's very important, always with the intent to restore the relationship. So how do we do this? Well, Jesus gives us the steps of how to rebuke somebody. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, this is what he says. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now listen, it's okay to go and get counsel from somebody you trust that is older than you, walked with the Lord longer than you, is somebody that really has a relationship with the Lord, has some wisdom. It's okay to get some counsel, but it's not wise to go and talk to a whole bunch of people about what happened and how you were hurt by this other person before you talk to them. So Jesus tells, tells us, go and talk to the person that sinned against you between you and him or her alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Wonderful. If he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. <clears throat> so take a couple others that witnessed uh, the, the, the way that you were hurt by that person. And they're basically kind of confirming what you're saying. Like, listen, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. And we really want this relationship restored. That's kind of the message of the one or two other witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. Now, that doesn't mean you get up on a Sunday morning and you say, hey, listen, we need to make an announcement about how this person hurt me. That's not the idea. The idea is that you go to the, the leadership in the church and get their help in resolving the conflict. If he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which is basically you pray for him, you show him love, you communicate your desire for them to be reconciled to you and to God. That's how Jesus responded to Gentiles and tax collectors. So this is the steps Jesus gives us when it comes to rebuke or confronting somebody, talking to them about how they hurt you. Now keep in mind you want to do this with gentleness. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness with gentleness god may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth 
that is absolutely key. So I would give them a love sandwich, all right? Here's a love sandwich. You, you talk with them, you, you first tell them up front how much you love them and you want a good relationship with them, and that's really important to you. Then you talk about how you, you were hurt by them. That's the rebuke. Then you finish up with reminding them, listen, I love you, and that's why I'm talking to you about this. So that it's abundantly clear, your whole motivation is love. It's not to get justice or to get back at them or to you know, get them to apologize. It is to restore the relationship and bring glory to God, and you love them. Uh, also, a couple things. Choose a good time and place where you're not going to be interrupted to where they don't feel threatened. Choose your words carefully. Uh, pray beforehand. And anticipate their reaction and how you might respond. Uh, always including that intent and that goal of restoring the relationship. Alright, so Jesus says then you rebuke them. And if they repent, now what does that mean? Well, repentance means to... Uh, have a change of mind. It involves a, a turning from sin to God. Um, it's there needs to be some conviction there. So if there's some conviction there, and they they recognize that they hurt you, that's repentance. So if they repent, then you need to forgive. Forgive means to let go, to give it up, or to take it away. Okay. Now, <clears throat> a couple things here. This does not mean, necessarily, you need to trust that person in that area that they hurt you. Forgiveness, Jesus commands us to do, over and over. Um, building trust comes after forgiveness, okay? And that takes time to build up trust again. And you may not trust a person with a certain thing. Like if somebody steals from you or something, you need to forgive them if they repent. That doesn't mean that you need to trust them to be in your house alone for a significant period of time, right? Uh, that that kind of trust would be built up over time. This also does not mean that you need to stay in abusive, an abusive relationship. Uh, Jesus says that uh, we need to forgive, but again, trusting the person, even in the context of a relationship to where they hurt you, that is not what he's commanding here. So that, that's not what this means. Um, also, Jesus says if a person comes to you six times in a day, seven times in a day, saying they repent. So he doesn't say, like, if you believe that they're repentant, right? Like, I think if somebody came to me four times in a day and sinned against me over four times and they say that they repent, I would be like, you know, I don't really believe this. But Jesus is saying, listen, if they just say they repent, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's kind of the idea. you got to give them the benefit of the doubt and forgive them anyway. And this just isn't seven times. It's... That's figurative uh, language to, to say an innumerable amount of times. Jesus is big on forgiveness. Okay, so then the apostles have a reaction to this, and you might have the same reaction at this point. They say, increase our faith, which I think, if I were to put that in my own words, I would say, basically they're saying, how on earth do we do this? I mean, this is, this is tough, this kind of forgiveness, isn't it? And this is what Jesus' response is. He says, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, what does that mean? I think it's basically this. Jesus is saying, you know what, it's not the amount of faith that you have that will enable you to forgive like this. You just have to have faith. It has to be actual, genuine faith. Like a seed, if planted, will turn into a tree as long as it's 
actually a seed. It doesn't matter how big the seed is, it just has to have the DNA in it to produce that tree, right? So, in the same way, if you have faith, and you trust what Jesus is saying, and his command to forgive like this, if you really trust him, you'll be able to do it, okay? And then he says, you could say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Well, that is a supernatural thing, right? It's, it's really an amazing thing if that were to happen, a mulberry tree being uprooted and planted into the sea. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you just trust me and do what I'm telling you, you know, as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King, you do what I'm, I'm telling you to do in forgiving like this, then you will see extraordinary things happen. Now, I shared a story about a time where Megan and I, uh, we had a significant conflict with somebody. It la- this, this conflict lasted over two years. And we were, um, we, we tried to sit down several times with them and work through these steps of reconciliation. And uh, they, uh, it just didn't happen. It didn't work. And so what ended up happening was, um, this was all before we got married. So we ended up getting married. They came to our wedding ceremony. A couple weeks after our wedding ceremony, we really felt the Lord telling us, you need to go meet with them again and, and uh, work towards reconciliation. So we did. And we had, a, a, we had faith like a mustard seed. I mean, like we, had, we were trusting Jesus that he was going to do something here, although that was very hard to do. And we sat down with this, with this, uh, this person, and uh, they were just all smiles just totally happy, and we were like, what's going on? Why are you smiling so much? And they uh, shared with us how God had used our very wedding ceremony to communicate to them uh, some areas where they had fault and where they had hurt us. And so they confessed right then and there. I mean, the repentance had already happened in their heart. They confessed. We confessed because we had fault in this two-year period as well and uh, apologized, and there was forgiveness on both ends. And from that day forward, there was total reconciliation. We had to build back trust, and that was okay, but there was genuine forgiveness. So here's the thing. We, in going to meet with this person, we had a little bit of faith. We had faith, but it was genuine faith. And God used it. He used that faith to bring about something extraordinary, work in this person's heart, and brought about amazing reconciliation that has lasted to this day. So that is the idea that Jesus is getting after here. Uh, then he says this, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all, that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. What does this mean? Like, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Basically, he's saying this. Imagine you're the boss of a company, and you have somebody working for you, and you tell them to sweep the floor. So they sweep the floor. And after that, would you go up to them and say, wow, you swept the floor, thank you so much. That's amazing. Oh, I so appreciate what you've done here. I'm going to take you out to lunch and get you whatever you want. Would you do that? No, you probably wouldn't. Why? Because you're a boss. You're the boss. This is your employee. It was his duty to sweep the floor because of his position as the employee. And he's going to do the work and he's going to get paid. That's the agreement that you have. And so he just did his job. And so the employee shouldn't expect for you to 
be super overwhelmingly grateful and take them out to lunch. The employee should just expect, you know, that he gets paid for his work um, and say thank you for the job. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, guys, you must remember your position here as, as in a position of grace. Like, I'm Jesus, I'm the Lord, I'm the King, and so I'm giving you a command. I know it's really wild. I know it's not what you're used to, but you need to trust me. And as my servants, uh, you need to obey what I'm telling you and understand your place. That's basically what he's saying. Paul, the apostle, arguably one of the greatest church planters uh, and apostles ever, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. So he said, It is by the grace of God I am what I am. So he understood, even though he's probably one of the greatest apostles and church planters, he understood his position was a position of grace. And that's, a, that's what we have to understand, too. When we get commands from Christ that we're like, wow, this is hard. How do we do this? We have to understand that he is Lord, he is king, and we're, we, we're a part of him by grace. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve to be saved. We're in a position of grace. So anything that he says, we ought to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm going to trust you with this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust for you to do extraordinary things as I obey. Nonetheless, this is a hard one to obey, this kind of forgiveness, because you know what? When we're hurt by people, uh, it hurts, and you get your hand burned on the stove, and you don't want to touch the stove again, right? Um, And bitterness can set set in really easily. So I'm going to give you a few things here just to wrap up, a few things that will be helpful to help you forgive when you have been hurt by someone, okay? Uh, the first thing is to renew your mind regarding who you are in Christ. Because when somebody sins against you and somebody hurts you, they're basically saying, this is how much I think of you. Like, you are worth so little to me that it's okay for me to do this to you. And some of you have been hurt so bad that basically that person has said to you, you're worthless to me. That's what that sin does. That's what it communicates. But you know what? That's not true. It is not true. Your worth comes from, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your worth comes from your Heavenly Father. And he says in Romans 8 this, he says, By whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you have trusted in Christ, you are a child of God, and he loves you unconditionally. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never hurt you. And you hold tremendous value because he loves you to the same degree he loves his son, Jesus. You are in Christ. Remember that. Renew your mind in that. Renew your mind in how God sees the person that hurt you. There once was a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. And Jesus went up to him and he said, follow me. Which was amazing because tax collectors were despised in that day. They were viewed as traitors against the people of Israel. But Jesus saw something different in Matthew. Later on, Jesus made the comment, he said, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. See, Jesus saw Matthew as somebody who was, who was sick, somebody who was struggling in sin in his life, and he needed help, he needed salvation, he needed healing. And that's how God sees whoever that person is that hurt you. God wants to work in their life. Because it's true that hurt people hurt people. That person that hurts you, they're hurting. 
and have been sinned against as well. And God wants to help them and bring them to himself and heal them. So see people how God sees people. Next, uh, renew your mind in God's ability to heal. You may have healing from having reconciliation, from that other person uh, repenting and then apologizing and having a restored relationship. That can happen for sure. And you may have some healing through that, but you know what? That may not happen. That, may, that person may not be willing. You may have to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector and, and, and pray for them and cast that burden that you carry of having the unresolved conflict that you carry on your shoulders. You've got to cast that to the Lord over and over and you don't become bitter, but give that to the Lord and say, Lord, I just I pray for reconciliation with this person. I pray you do a work in this person's heart. God, I'm going to take this burden and just give this to you to take care of. You may need to do that over and over, and you may not have healing yourself from how you've been hurt by the means of reconciliation. But you know what? Ultimate healing comes from God, from his love in your heart and his promises from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've recognized that you're guilty and you have sin and you need forgiveness and you've trust, you've repented, recognized you have that need that forgiveness, you've trusted in Christ, guess what? You then are forgiven by God. You become his child. And then as you spend time in his word, trusting in his promises, you're going to feel his love for you and spend time with other believers that is what is going to provide healing in your life. Uh, Paul, again, he was hurt by someone many times and pleaded with the Lord that it should you know, be removed from his life. And the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So ultimately, God is the one that can heal you from the hurt that you've experienced. And it's going to be through a relationship with him, in his word, through his promises and his love, and really in fellowship with some other believers that can encourage you in those things. Last, it'll help you to forgive if you renew your mind in what Jesus has forgiven you for. In Colossians 3.13 it says this, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. That's important. The reality is, I'll put this in for my own person uh, I have sinned against Jesus hurt him offended him ignored him just been selfish uh, sinned against him way more way more than anyone has hurt me and even more deeply than anyone has hurt me and what did Jesus do he hung on a cross for you and for me and as he hung on that cross he said forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and then he died, and his death was a payment for all of my sin and all of your sin. He paid for it all. That's how he responded when we hurt him. And then he rose from the dead, and he said, anyone that trusts that I made that payment for them, which I, you know, I did, he did, you're forgiven. And you get Christ's righteousness as a gift, and heaven as a guarantee, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you, and all these things. So as you think about how much Christ loves you and how much sin he has paid for on your behalf, that will give you the capacity and the capability to forgive whoever has hurt you. So I'd encourage you to spend some time. Who is it that you need to forgive that has 
repented. Maybe you need to go and talk to somebody and have that rebuke, biblical rebuke, to where you talk with them and give them that love sandwich. Maybe you need to talk with somebody who's hurt you. Maybe they don't even know. Maybe you've already done that and they have been repentant, but you have not really forgiven them. So who do you need to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? Uh, maybe you've tried and you have talked with them and they are not willing. Um, who You need to cast that burden on the Lord. You need to entrust that relationship to the Lord and really commit that to prayer and love them uh, in return. So that's my encouragement. Uh, have a great week and be blessed.